Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Joining us on today's performance, people, are a team who obliterated the previous record held for climbing all 14 8,000-metre peaks. Christina Rila is a Norwegian adventurer who took on the world of high-altitude mountaineering. Lama Tenjen Sherpa was alongside her. He participated in all 14 of those ascents. And Thane Guragai is also going to be joining our conversation, who is responsible for her logistics. These performance people have redefined what is possible in the death zone. I felt safe with him right away. I felt that he will always be be there to take care of me. We know it's a risk. We, we know it's dangerous to climb these mountains and we have reasons for, for still doing it and, and we still climb. Okay, first up, Kristen. My first question to you is, what on earth were you thinking? And I mean this in the most serious of contexts, because most people um, would think of the idea, contemplate the idea of climbing all 14 peaks and then somehow manage to talk themselves out of it. What was, what was behind your thinking that made you, that led you to do this extraordinary thing that, that you know, enabled you to break this extraordinary record? Well, thank you so much. Um, I I think uh, the idea came up after I did every Lutz in 2021. And for a while I had felt that the sport and the uh, community and the industry were very far from equal. And of course, I, I love to climb mountains and I love to be outside in the nature and, and the expedition life and everything about that. But I, I wanted to change something after experience that, uh, for example, it was almost impossible for me to find a down suit in a women's pit. So I had to make like a custom made in Kathmandu. And I saw that big international brands, they were producing climbing clothes just in men's size. And I also saw when I was trying to get sponsorship that most of the sponsors, they uh, are supporting men. And it's very easy to see on their athlete page who they are supporting. And it's, it's no reason that uh, they shouldn't support women too. And this was also the Norwegian brands where we say that we are pretty equal. Uh, so I was thinking, okay, the best way to change something is to show that we are just as wrong. And I knew that NIMS did this in 2019, and I was thinking, okay, it's, it's possible to, to do it. But, uh, yeah, I have been wondering myself. And, can, I, can I? And, and I also wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to, uh, to, sh- to share the record 
because I think uh, for me it means so much more and so much more fun to to share the record, and I think that it means something for uh, for my Sherpa and for the Sherpa community and for the company in Nepal that also I think deserve to have the record. Like uh, I think. Uh, the Sherpas do such an amazing job for everyone that is climbing this 8,000 meter. Also, the people that climbs without the Sherpa, I think we use the fixed rope that the Sherpa has been fixing and we use the base camp that the Sherpa has been fixing and the companies in, in Nepal. So I think they deserve to be a part of the record. So I wanted to to see if it was possible to to share something like that. Can, can I just delve into Georgie's question a little bit more and... So uh, just for our listeners, a little bit of your background going into it, how how confident were you that, you know, you from what your experiences were before, what you tackled before, that you could take it on? I'm pretty confident. Uh, but I, I really believe in having the faith and believing when you are going to do something. Uh, I believe that that gives you some drive, uh, and I think like uh, when I quit my job in 19, uh, I was a manager and I had like a lot of people and a lot of a good pay job and everything. But in the end, I felt that I didn't believe in what we were doing. When we were setting up a goal, I felt that mm, probably the road is going to end another way. And that made me not put enough effort in to actually reach that goal. So uh, I think like believing is very important. And I, I did believe from the start that I could do this. I just want to bring in the, the other two guys who are also on this conversation as well. So pivotal to your climb and, and, and to this ascent. And like you say, very much a team effort. So Thana Gurugai is on this call, who was your logistics manager. Um, and put this and help to put this together. Um, and also we have uh, Lama as well, your Sherpa, who has been so instrumental to the success of this mission as well. And Thane, I suppose to ask you um, or ask Lama via you, if you, if you will, as our translator in this conversation, what convinced Lama, having not climbed with Kristen before, to undertake this mission? The main reason I decided to go with Kristin instead of going to any other mountain is I found Kristin to be very strong. And also the middleman from the company knew Kristin very well and they tied up the team between us. And Kristen, how do you build that trust with somebody? You're going into a situation which is, you know, you're going to be facing life and death situations and decisions. How do you, how do you build a trust oh. with somebody that enables you to get on in that environment? Yeah, I think you're touching some main important thing here because you have to trust each other and uh, you have to have a very special connection to actually do this and like we are spending so much time together over over these months and 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 sharing so much and we like are in this situation where we have to trust each other and I think for for when the first time I met Rama, uh, like right away I felt uh, something else, both 
between us, like the connection that we had, I, I felt something, I, I think I should say I felt safe with him right away. I felt that he will always be, be there to take care of me. And it's so much more than, he, okay, he's the strongest Sherpa in the world, for sure. He is like, like, like so strong. I, I, I can't believe how it's possible to be so strong and so fast. But I think uh, just as important is that he he was like always around and always helpful and always taking care and whatever he was, um, I knew he was going to be there. And he, after a while, like when we were climbing, climbing, he knew where I needed help to to get over the crevasses, and he knew where I could manage it myself. And so we became like a super good team together. I think it's about uh, communication and trusting each other and of course uh, some personal um, relationship or connection between us that worked very well. And of course if you're deciding to undertake a challenge like this I mean you're talking about a major logistical feat as well and you talked a little bit about the fact that you know you couldn't find the right kit for women. I mean I, I just find that fascinating I mean that's that's the sort of, that lights up the fire in your belly, doesn't it? To make you really want to go and do something about this. Because like you say, you want to change the narrative that women can do this just as ably as men can. But where do you start? Where do you start with the project? I suppose, Thane, maybe it's worth asking you this because you were involved very much in the logistics and the planning of an operation such as this. Where, where do you start? How do you, how do you make it happen from the conception to the reality? So how it works is like actually Christian uh, tried to climb the all peaks um, before, right? Before this project, fast stage 14, attempting in three months. She had a plan to do less than six months. And she already climbed two all peaks before with another agency and we all witnessed how she climbed, okay? She had a problem with the Tibet where, uh, during the logistic or the permit as well. So we already have a big scene of Christian, who she is. She already proved like climbing Everest and uh, Lhotse in the fastest hour, climbing uh, simultaneously many higher 8,000 meter peak uh, in Nepal and Pakistan. So only she was left with a Tibet and we saw her impression on the mountain. Like she even tried to show you um, uh, from the Nepal side also in winter somehow. So we had a big frame of, of the Christian. She had a problem with the logistic and the permit um, uh, to the Tibet and that we can fix we knew, knew this because the similar thing in a collaboration with the tibetan government and the nepali other logistic company we did for nimsdai also so we are pretty sure about this process it will work so we had no doubt like christian won't climb you know but we had a doubt of climbing this in like fastest time but we had no doubt on her climbing uh, strength so see she, she was in contact with Seven Summit because mountaineering is a small world and we know her, she knows us and she, simple like, like a deal, she said like, can you do this for me? And we say, we can try, why not? Danny, can you just ask Lama for me if he thought that, she, that Kristen could do this in 92 days? Because you just referenced interestingly there that you weren't sure if we could actually do that in this time frame. Can you ask Lama if he thought it was possible in 92 days? Ninety two days, me, 
At the beginning, when we climbed Shishapangma and Choyoyu, I was so-so. Maybe we will be in time, but three months is really, really challenging because we know that climbing in Nepal is so tough. We had to climb Manaslu in spring, which has not been done in many, many years. It is only climbed in autumn during September-October, but she decided to climb in April, May, June, which made me confused. So when we completed all the Tibetan and Nepalese peaks, then I trusted that we could do it in the 92 days because I knew I was okay with the five 8,000-meter peaks in Pakistan. What about the challenges of physicality and mentality? So, Kristen, from your perspective then, you've got the permit, you're going, you're off. But what have you done to make sure physically you are as good as you can be and mentally you're as strong as you need to be? I think, of course, you have to be in a physical good shape to do many long days after each other. Uh, like we have done, uh, we did uh, nine mountains in... in uh, 45 days, so we had one summit every 4.5 days for 45 days. So, of course, you have to be very good physical shape to do it. But I think another point here is that you have to be very willing to have it uncomfortable for a very long time. Mm. It's not like running a marathon and you're out in four hours. This is like um, many, many long days after each other. And sometimes we are out for... Like the summit push is often between 20 and 30 hours from the last camp to the summit and back to base camp. So I think one, one important thing is that you have to be like comfortable with a very uncomfortable situation for a long time. When did your, did your will ever mm. break over the course of that 92 days? You're going to have to have highs and lows. You're going to have to have moments where you feel like you've, you're totally getting this, you're absolutely where you want to be, and other days where you just feel like, oh, it's all coming down on you. Like, where, Did your will ever break at any point? Actually, not. I, I, I did believe all the way, and I, I think that gives you such a power to, to get something done if you really believe in things. And of course, I knew that, okay, we had a plan to go to the summit on the 22nd, but maybe when we are in the last camp, we see, okay, the weather is too bad, the rope isn't fixed, we need to go another day. So we, we have the plan, and you have to believe in that plan, but you have to be flexible also. And like on Nanga Parbat, when we started out, we had a plan to go from base camp to camp two, and I got really sick uh, before we came to camp one, and we had to stop in camp one. So, so we have to be, be flexible also. That's a really good point, isn't it, about sickness, actually, and how you manage that, because you can't afford to be sick, can you? You can't ever be off your game in a situation or an environment like that. So uh, how, how do you manage that? What do you eat? What do you, what do, you do to prepare as much as possible not to be unwell? <laughs> Well, uh, for me, it's important to to have some extra kilo before we start because I always get sick. I know I'm going to throw up. And <laughs> it can be the altitude, but normally it's the food poisoning because I always, especially in Pakistan, Nepal is okay for me now because I've been so much in Nepal. So, uh, but uh, yeah, Lama has seen me throwing up a couple of times. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, is that just some the, lo the local food? Getting used to the local food is as simple as that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, like if Nepal, like in 21 and 22, I also had many episodes with food poisoning. I have a little bit sensitive stomach. 
in Nepal, but this year was very good in Nepal, actually. So I, I think my body got used to it, but I'm more, more sensitive than normal. And, and Lama, Lama is always fine. He's just a machine, always like, uh, I, I, I can't understand. He's like never tired. Uh, <laughs> and, and of course, uh, I, I get tired. Actually, Fanny, can you ask Lama this question about um, his sort of affinity with the mountains? Because he hasn't always been a mountaineer, has he? Um, so can you just ask him about uh, his love of the mountains and of that sort of commitment to it? My family is deeply involved in mountaineering. They are well educated and they all wanted to be in mountaineering from their childhood. This is a job, but this is also like a mother that feeds us. And we also have a company called Seven Summits from the same village we grew up in. Sometimes it might be boring, sometimes it might not be. But the main thing that keeps me committed to mountaineering is projects like Kristin's that share the monetary and fame benefits equally. This kind of project gives me the highest level of motivation and commitment. Otherwise, it's just a job to feed me and my family. And the mountain, Everest in particular, can be really deadly. I think there have been 17 fatalities or so this climbing season. Um, what, how, as, as a Sherpa, what is his observation of that? And I know his, his brother um, had um, uh, uh, died on Everest this season. So what, what is the, what is the um, reaction to that as a Sherpa in terms of the mountain and it, it's perhaps shifting, perhaps climate change being a factor? I mean, is that something that he's observing? Is that something that he's seeing? And I, after that, I suppose it would be great for Kristen to comment on that too. During all my expeditions, the mountains are changing in their character all the time. That includes the weather and climate change. I cannot explain why it's changing, but I can see that lots of people are attempting the mountains, and each mountain can be deadly and dangerous to anyone. It's not only Everest. Everest is obviously the highest peak, but it also has lots of logistic support that keeps it safer than some other mountains. But climbing mountains that are higher than 8,000 metres is always a challenging job. Beyond climate change, the deaths and injuries are down to mismanagement and low experience. If the client is not good, not well trained, then sometimes us Sherpas have to spend all our energy and strength to protect the client, which then means equal danger to the Sherpa, and we can die helping the client. There can also be a quick reaction in the body. You, you never know. This is why it's called the death zone. Even my brother, who, who was so experienced in the mountains, died. There can be other unknown physical issues that arise. He was exposing himself in high altitudes for a very long time to maintain the climbing infrastructure to support his clients. So there isn't one specific reason, like climate change, why people die. When my brother died on Everest, we were on Annapurna, and then we moved to Dolagiri. I cried when I was in camp, and when we summited Dolagiri, it didn't feel like an achievement at all, knowing that my brother was dead. I had to decide not to attend my brother's funeral ceremony after I spoke with a Sherpa colleague 
and we agreed that we are Sherpas and we must maintain our loyalty to the client and our professionalism. This is my job. The reason that Sherpas are thought of as invincible to the rest of the world is because of the hard work and the loyalty. I still regret it, but I think what I have done will keep the name of the Sherpas and my brother on a higher level. That's extraordinary, isn't it, Kristen? What's your reaction to that? Yeah, of course, it was a very special situation for us when we got the news that Lama's brother was passed away on it. And yeah, we were, of course, very, very sad and, and, and shocked. Everyone that climbs this mountain, either it's a Sherpa or a guide or a quarter or a climber, we know it's a risk. We, we know it's dangerous to climb these mountains and we have reasons for, for still doing it and, and we still climb. And, and I think there is things that we can do to reduce the risk. Even there is always a risk. And I think one important thing here is to choose to go with the right company. Because it's very different from company to company, like how much experience uh, the, 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 the climbers and the Sherpas have and how much training do they both do and how is, is uh, they equipped? Like are they probably equipped and know how to use the rope? And, and yeah, so I think uh, choosing the right company to go with is, is very important. Even we still know there is a risk. So, but they're like choosing the right company, and I think also like uh, going together with a good team is is a very very important thing. And I don't think I don't think it's just a coincidence like that we were safe uh, on all the mountain. I think um, a good teamwork is also very important to be safe. And if you, Kristen. It's really fascinating to, using uh, listening to uh, Lama talk about the culture that they ha have there, the Sherpa culture, and what it means to go to you know for anyone to lose a family member is 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 incredibly tough. But to draw on on that culture to drive forwards is that is that something that's really evident when you spend time in in the in the region. Yeah, for sure, sure it is. And, and of course, when, when we got the news, I, I told him, like, go, go with your family and, and go down if you want to. Of course, I want him to continue, but, but uh, it was his decision to, to continue. And, and of course, I'm very, very glad he, he decided to do that. And of course, we, we actually went directly to Everest after we were in Kansanjunga when we got the news, and then we went directly to Everest after. And of course, that was uh, a special situation, uh, especially for, for Lama. And um, yeah, and I, I think like um, the community also, everyone knew about this. And, and yeah, I think uh, being with, with good people around you when something like that happens is, uh, is important. Mm. 
Kristen, you obviously know, everybody knows the risks when you undertake a challenge like this. And, you know, that, you know, the, the chances of being put in a situation which are life and death are obviously going to be exaggerated by the very virtue of where you find yourself. Can anything prepare you, though, for a situation? You said a really interesting thing when you had to release a statement a while back. I've got it here. Yeah. Um, this incident that happened on K2 which was so unfortunate, where this poor man, Mohammed Hassan, lost his life um, on the 27th of July of, um, of this year, of 2023. Can anything prepare you for it coming across a situation like that? And in your statement, you say, this happened at the most dangerous part of the deadliest mountain in the world. And you should remember that at 8,000 plus meters, your survival instincts impact the decision you make and the decisions you make. So... What happens when you come across a scene like that? What, what happened in that moment? Can you take us back there, which I know will be painful, but can you take us there and describe mm -hmm. to us the scene that you came upon and, and how you all reacted to that? Mm. Yeah, I think, first of all, it's, it's a very, very tragical accident that happens on K2 that day. And, and I know it's been a lot about me in the media after this, but it's... First of all, just a tragical accident, and, and we feel so sorry for Hassan himself and his family. And um, I think it's important to remember also when you are in a situation like that, people are reacting differently. And uh, of course, after when when we come back, the, the the worst thing for us has been that we have to go out and defend what what we did and what people are saying that we did because we did risk our life for many hours to try to save him. And, and, and in that situation where we are standing in this bottleneck on this very, very dangerous place where we know a lot of accident happens and it's, um, it's a very risky place to stay. And very early when we saw that he was hanging upside down. We didn't know who this uh, person was. We didn't know if it was a man or a woman or a climber or a porter. We didn't know anything about him. We know him now. But very early I said to Lama that was in front of me, uh, Lama, we need to try to do something. And we clipped around these persons that we had in front of us to to reach out to to Hassan and Lama first went out to try to turn him around. He was about five meters down and some meters out from the trail, and the trail is like very very narrow. And the condition this year was like when you were stepping on the snow, it was almost like you fell out, and it's super steep on this side, and then you have this rock hanging over you. We didn't see actually when he fell, but maybe that could be the reason why he fell because the snow was so unstable there. So we tried that first and we didn't like manage to get him up to the trail again. So Lama came back in and we put a rope on Lama. So Lama climbs up to the upper anchor with an ice axe and I'm just securing him. And, and Gabriel, our cameraman, goes out to Hassan and we drop a rope from above to to try to get him up. And this was in the middle of the in the night. It was uh, dark and people were in the line behind us and they were coming more and more up. 
And people behind, they don't see what is happening up there. A little bit because it's dark and we were around the corner. Um, and Hassan's friend that were number one in this queue, he also came back to help. So all these people saying that no one did anything. We were very, we were there and we were very fast to go in and help him. And I also knew that if there is someone that is capable of getting him back up, it's, it's Lama, he's so strong, but it's very dangerous there. And after this was about between 2 a.m. and, and 2.15 and around 3.18, like more than an hour later, we got this uh, big, big avalanche coming on the side of the Serac. So we were safe behind the Serac, but our fixing team that we had two Sherpas and other team also had bringing people to help to fix, they were on the side where the avalanche came. So we got, we saw, of course, the avalanche. It was close. Uh, but we were safe, but we got the news on the radio that they had problem. So we decided to split up. So Gabriel, our cameraman, he stayed down with Hassan, continuing to try to turn him around, gave him his oxygen because he didn't have oxygen. And we are on 8,200 meters. So it's, it's very, very risky to be without oxygen there. And he didn't have down suit and... The rope was like tied around his leg or something. It was like in a weird position. And uh, we decided to continue, me and Lama. Gabriel stayed and another Sherpa from 8K also came to help and Hassan's friends. So they were three still continued to help. And we went around the corner and, and catched up with the fixing team. And I texted my team home and said, we have problems. And of course, they already knew because we had been stopping up for a long, long time. Uh, and uh, we continue and Gabriel stayed uh, for one hour more. And uh, on the summit, because we continue up in this very deep snow, still some more avalanches came, but we were safe. And on the summit, I, I called home and, and told what happened. And I, uh, I got the news from home that he's okay. Like, everyone is okay because my team home had been checking with seven summit is, is everyone okay? And everyone in our team were okay. And we just have radio contact in our team, not all team. And he wasn't with, with our team. And also Gabriel came up to the summit after because he had to leave because he was out of oxygen. His oxygen water were in front with us, with the rest of the Sherpas. So he had to continue up and, on the summit, I asked him, did you manage to get him all up? And he said, yes. And I said, is he alive? And he said, yes, he's alive, but he's in a very bad shape. So we didn't know that he was gone before we came down uh, to the bottom back again. And then we saw him lying there on the trail. And it's impossible to carry someone down from there. It's, it's not possible. Uh, in the accident in 2008, someone tried to carry, four people tried to carry one injured guy down. And this was way below the bottom line, and they fell and, and many lost their life uh, in that accident. And uh, yeah, it's a very dangerous place uh, to be. 
And I guess in those moments, people have choices to make, don't they? So Gabriel gave him oxygen, which was yeah. obviously depleting himself of the opportunity to use that oxygen for a later moment. So, you know, and yeah. this chap obviously wasn't, I think you mentioned that he wasn't wearing gloves and he didn't have a down yeah. suit. Um, so yeah. the preparation um, question is there. Um, and, and your reaction when you came back down and then, and then you've done this extraordinary thing and you've, you've broken this record and it is momentous, but then the reaction mm. became all about everyone stepping over Mohammed Hassan. And, and mm. what, what, how do you feel about that? It's so, I mean, obviously it's so heartbreaking that this happened to this person, but yeah. You know, the context of a story is so important and that people mm. understand and hear the full story is so important. So how did that make you feel when you were being barraged by criticism mm. and your team was being barraged by criticism? Yeah, it's been it's been very hard. And actually, it, it, the accident wasn't about me at all. And it after, it's been all about uh, me and this film, this drone film, where they have marked around one person going over and they're saying that Christie is going over a, a dying man or a dead man to reach, uh, to take the record. And of course, it's very frustrating when we, we were there in the middle of the night and we tried everything we could. And Gabriel stayed for two and a half hours. We for one and a half and in a very risky area to try to, to save him. And, risked our life to try to save him. And we know that we did everything we could. So of course it's been like super frustrating. And and most of my time since I came home has just been about explaining the situation, what happened up there and, and, and try to like, uh, like put a focus on, I hope that this accident will change something for the high altitude porters in Pakistan. Uh, we don't know the truth about how much experience he had. You and Lama has shared something so special between the two of you. You'll always yep. have that bond. Did you feel, was yeah. it hard parting ways at the end of this mission because you've achieved something so special and then it's, you yeah. know, you're, you're on to your next lives, the pair of you. Yeah, but I, I think we will always uh, stay in, in contact and, and keep in contact. We will always be like like family after this. And and I hope that Lama and his family can come to Norway soon. And I will go back to Nepal soon and, and visit him and the family. And I hope one day maybe his kids can come to Norway and, and go to school here. And uh, yeah, I think we will always be, be family after this. And uh, yeah, that's uh, very nice. And uh, and for me, like, um, uh, I think the record is important to to change something uh, uh, in the future to make it more equal. But I think for me, to to be able to share this record with with Lama is so much means so much more and makes it um, yeah so so different than to just take it for myself. We've, this is a performance podcast, so I've got to ask you, both of you, um, for 
a tip for better performance every day. So not everyone's going to necessarily climb an 8,000 peak mountain, but for everyday performance, what can people do? What would you advise would be a good tip for them, a good hack for them to get through a day with better performance, Kristen? Uh, well, well, I have to say, when I'm home and I'm going out and training, it's so hard to get out. <laughs> so, so I'm pretty normal on that. But I think... Um, I, for, for me, it's important to like put a goal, like put up your goal, set up your goal and, and believe in it. You have to like believe in it. And, and then I think it's easy to get the work done and get to, yeah. So like having faith and, and just go all in to reach your goal is um, very important. And Thani, perhaps you can ask the same of Lama, a top tip for good performance every day. I don't know exactly how people train in foreign countries. Things like hiking, carrying backpacks and cycling would be helpful training for the mountains, I suppose. But before you come to the mountains, especially over 8,000 metre mountains, make your plans with clear goals, but come with good knowledge of the equipment also. If you are only strong, you can't do anything effectively. We have seen many people you know, I'm an ultramarathoner, I am this, I am that. But when they come to the high altitude, it's useless. Everyone is the same. So when you train, you need to train with the right equipment also. That gives confidence to the Sherpa that you can climb the mountain. That sounds like some pretty, pretty good advice to me. Yeah, don't go up a mountain without the right equipment and train with it prior. Sounds like the right, the right advice. Thank you both, th all three of you. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure. I know Kathmandu is a busy place, isn't it? We can hear a lot of the sound in the background of, um, of daily traffic and life going by and building works and all sorts of things in the back of your shot. So I suspect... I'll give you, I'll give you the example, okay? Because <laughs> we live in Kapan. Where is our, our company? Our company is just near to my, my apartment. So this, this Kapan is a highly dwelling city in Nepal I means lots of people live here and the airport is just nearby so each time you can hear the sound of the airplane or the helicopter doing some random things and there is no no quiet place I means impossible we live in a like very very narrow community dogs are our friend they keeps barking like people's like local sellers are our friend they come with the like local selling products so this life is full of cows <laughs> Go and embrace yeah. it. Thank you so Thank much you. for speaking to us. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Bye. 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 So I don't know about you, but listening to that, it's really hard to put yourself 8,000 metres up there, struggling to, to breathe, and then all of these, you know, challenges and, and, and talking about, the, you know, the death of that other climate. Uh, it was just extraordinary really but I suppose to me just going back to right to the beginning uh, was you know the challenge that she set her, herself and then going out and finding the team so having a goal and then having the preparation and the team around you to achieve that it, it was uh, pretty stark really yeah I just I still can't get over that when she started out on the whole challenge she couldn't find the right kit because she was a woman I mean, that's what it boils down to, that there wasn't stuff that fitted her 
that was appropriate for her because it just wasn't there. It wasn't made like a down suit. I mean, that's pretty basic stuff. Yeah, it's crazy. Isn't when you it, look really? at you go on you go on the Summit Trek guys wet seven Summit Trek guys website, and you can you can see the gear list that's required for a climb like that. It's really extensive. Like it's unbelievably extensive what you need and and how much of what you need because you're going to be taking it all with you as well on your on your back as well as wear as well as wearing it right where your sherpa certainly is and it is full on so the idea that any company wouldn't have it wouldn't have resonated with them that women might well want to do what men do with mountaineering is just staggering so i hope that she changes that completely and rips up the rule book on that because that is just plain wrong that that hasn't been out I'm there sure and doesn't will. exist I'm yeah sure she will. yeah but goal setting, you're quite right. That was a that was a key thing. Thank you for listening. This has been Performance People. We are Ben and Georgie Ainsley. And remember, goal setting and the right kit is what you need if you're going to take on an 8,000er.